come up and folks invite you to prepare your hearts for the word of the Lord. We're starting a new series today, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. Uh, Rob has two passages of scripture. One is from Isaiah, and I want you to notice uh, the holiness of God, uh, the majesty of God as he reads that passage, and then he's going to read a passage from Matthew, and we'll talk about those together. So, Rob. Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7, and it's page 571 in the chair Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then we're going to turn over to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And that's page 810 in your chair Bible. Oops, I might be wrong. Matthew 6, 5 to 13, that's 811. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
Thanks, Rob. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you make us holy. We who are unclean and don't deserve it, we can't make ourselves holy on our own. Lord, that by your love and your power, you transform us. We thank you, Lord, for that promise. And we thank you, Jesus, that you call us into life with you. So we pray, Lord, as we look at your word, you would open our hearts to receive and to live it out in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, So recently we completed a bathroom reno in our place, and it's now potentially my favorite room in the house, which is dangerous, um, because I just want to be in there all the time. So I just kind of go in and look at, Rowan will come with me, and he goes, it's so beautiful. They made a wall here. They painted it. What is under this wall, he asks. It's the same space, right? There's a toilet. There's a sink. There's a shower. But it all feels new. So like you're washing your hands. Like I wash my hands hundreds of times. I'm like washing my hands in the new sink. Woo! Right? Use the towel. This is different. Oh, it's so different. Use the shower. It's a shower, right? Well, there was no shower before. So it is kind of exciting that there's a shower. But lots of showers. It's not that different, but the space is different, right? And the space, if you've ever done any kind of reno or you've moved or you've suddenly you're in a different kind of space, the space feels fresh and new. Maybe you're doing even the same kinds of things, right? Like you're in a kitchen, you're like I've been in a kitchen before. I've made the sandwich before, but it's new, right? And I was thinking about this as, as I head into this, we head into this new series. So in the weeks leading up to Easter through the season of Lent, we're going to be going back uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We actually finished the sermon uh, last week. But if you recall, we didn't spend a lot of time on the Lord's Prayer. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is go back to Matthew 6, as Rob read for us, and we're going to explore the Lord's Prayer together. It's a familiar prayer. Many of us, I'm sure, know it by heart. We've said it maybe since we were kids. Maybe you don't. That's okay if you don't. But like things that become familiar, it can, it can almost start to feel like it loses its meaning. Do you know what I mean by that? We know it doesn't really lose its meaning, but because we do it often, it can just feel like it's kind of, it, it doesn't maybe mean as much. And that's how the Lord's Prayer can kind of start to feel, like any of, any of these things we might do in church. Sometimes communion can feel like this as well, or even hearing a sermon. You think, I've done this so many times. Um, what's the point of it? The problem is not so much the words of the Lord's Prayer that maybe seem familiar or the things we do in church that start to feel familiar. Um, the, the issue is often our hearts. We have a craving for the thing to feel new and exciting and invigorating, and sometimes we don't know how to respond when the thing feels good, even though it's just sort of more of the same. And so for some of us, we, we lose sort of the original energy and vitality of what these words, this prayer that Jesus gave us, can be. And when he calls us to pray, he calls us to pray like this. He says, pray then like this. And my hope is that as we pay attention to what Jesus says here, as we look at the words and we unpack it, it'll be like renovating our hearts. So it's not so much that the the praying is changed. We're still going to pray the Lord's Prayer. 
Um, but maybe our approach to it will have been changed in the same way. I'm still washing my hands at the sink in my bathroom. It's the same thing, but I've renovated the space around it, and now that action feels different. And in the same way as we come to this prayer, it's a prayer many of us are familiar with. Uh, maybe it's just sort of this rote thing. We just kind of go into autopilot if it's time to say it, you know. But as we renovate the space of our hearts, hopefully the words or the actions themselves will start to take on a new meaning. It'll start to feel fresh. So that when we go to pray this or as we study it, it'll have kind of the energy or the, uh, the power that it's intended to have. And so as we do this series over the next couple of weeks, think of it as sort of renovating your hearts, paying attention to Jesus and his concerns. Why, why does he say to pray these things? Why are these the concerns that are on his heart, right? Why are these the things that he says to pass on to us as disciples? It's a prayer that's, uh, it's, it's, you could say it's a poem in some ways, and it captures the missional movement of the faith that Jesus is beginning. I don't know if you've thought of it like that, but Jesus came to start a missional movement, not just to sort of start an institutional church, though that's part of it, but he came to start a movement, and that movement has swept over the world in the years since. I was listening to a sermon by Tim Mackey. Some of you may know Tim. Um, And he made this point, and it's really right on. He says, at different turning points in human society, when there's kind of great upheavals uh, and big changes, uh, when movements sort of are being shaped and, and begin and take place, often there will emerge with the movement, with the cultural change, uh, songs or poems that kind of embody the change of that, of that movement. One of my uh, favorite, I could probably say favorite story, perhaps, um, but one of my favorite uh, movies comes from Victor Hugo's uh, Les Miserables. And in uh, that story, if, I don't know if you know it or not, but in that story you have a convicted criminal, Jean Valjean, And he undergoes a a transformation of character, a conversion of character. As he he changes from being a a convict on the run, he encounters this kind and loving priest who gives him a second chance. And from that moment on, uh, Valjean's sort of a changed character. And he goes on to play a role in the events of the French Revolution. And at one of the central moments in the film or in the play or in the book, if you read the book, it's huge. Don't read the book. Just watch the movie. I very seldom will give that advice, but with Les Mis, it's totally acceptable. It's so long. I I tried. It's like 500 pages. I'm like, I can't take it, Victor Hugo. I just can't. I'm sorry. It's really intense, but but it's it's worth your time to engage in some way. So if you can't read the book, maybe watch the movie. But he goes on to play a role in the French Revolution, and at one point in the film, particularly, there's this group of revolutionaries, and their mentors passed away. There's a funeral procession through the city, and they use this moment as people are honoring uh, their mentor to, to spur, to kind of light the fire of revolution. And they do so with a song. It's a song or a poem that summarizes their hopes and summarizes their mission. And so I'd asked if Dave could play this clip for us, and we'll see if we can play it and Maybe have some audio, too, as we go. See if you can do it, Dave. You can turn off the lights, maybe, if you can. Do 
Stop it there before the, the gunfights break out. The scene, it illustrates an important thing, this, this idea that poems or songs, uh, or indeed prayers, as we'll see, can embody the feeling and the emotion and the mission of a generation. And so this song... Uh, it you know it's obviously about the French Revolution, but it starts to become more than that. It starts to become more than just about the present circumstances. It sort of becomes this this song that people who are resisting any kind of oppressive government or regime want to sort of take up. Right? It's sort of timeless in that sense, but it expresses the change that's happening. The whole kind of season and and mission of their movement is expressed in the song. And it's not unlike what Jesus wants to do here in Matthew. Jesus wants to give a song, or we might call it a poem, or we might call it a prayer, Jesus' prayer. He wants to give us something that uh, kind of captures the essence of the Christian movement and, and, and holds for us something that's easy to remember, something that we can pray through ourselves, something that can kind of shape our hearts, and that uh, keeps the, the energy and the movement going of the Christian faith. And so just like how this song becomes something that, that the, the revolutionaries sing and it gets picked up by the crowd, right, and others sort of join in, as they go, later on, they sing a kind of other versions of it. It shows up again later in the musical in different ways. In the same way, the Lord's Prayer is something, I mean, none of us were there when Jesus gave this, right? It's been passed on to us. It's been uh, passed on to the church as something that we kind of bring forward, carry with us 
and it embodies a lot of what Jesus wants us to learn as his disciples. And it's a song, you could say, that's been picked up all around the world and centers us in what the Christian faith is about. One of the things that's worth mentioning about the Lord's Prayer is it's, it's a proactive approach to prayer. And in, in Tim Mackey's uh, lesson, as he was talking about this, he, ref, he reflects on Anne Lamott's uh, comments on prayer. And she says, so often our prayers are just reactive. Our prayers are, you know, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Or they're help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Or they're, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right? These are our prayers. They sort of happen in response to what's happening in our lives. It's like, oh, I better talk to God about this. I'm really just sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or thank you, thank you, thank you. But Jesus is giving us a proactive means of thinking about prayer, of cultivating a life with prayer. He says, this is how you should pray. And I think he actually means it as this is a prayer to pray. It's okay to pray a prayer that someone else wrote down. You know, it's okay. doesn't mean you can't spontaneously pray as well, but, but it's okay to do both. I'm just going to tell you as a pastor, it's okay. It's safe. It's not weird. It's okay. You can do that. It's something of a gift, though, because you have to think these are, this is a prayer shaped in the language of Jesus. This is a prayer that Jesus himself is, is passing on for us to pray, right? It's his prayer. And I think of Jesus' life as he often would kind of retreat from the busyness of ministry and go off alone with the Father, right? That Jesus, his prayer life was a central part of who he was and how he went about his life was this communion with the Father. And here, Jesus is giving us a prayer that's very centered on the Father, calling us into communion as well with the living God. And so it summarizes a lot of important things for us as believers. Now, the purpose, though, is not just to look at the prayer and go, that's nice. It captures a lot of nice thoughts and things for me to remember theologically. It sort of informs them. But Jesus calls us to be active participants to be disciples, right? To be engaged in the movement that he came to begin. And so what I want us to do is look at it and talk about how it, it can inform our own prayers. There it is there. So let's, uh, we're just going to read it together. This is uh, Jesus' prayer, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. It's familiar, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts in this one. You could, sometimes it's transgression, transgressions, right? You might hear our sins. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or some manuscripts have evil one. If you look at your footnote in your Bible, it might say the evil one at the bottom. Or uh, also you'll notice in this one, what's the common ending that we're used to? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Is not in some of the oldest manuscripts. And so often in Matthew, they'll either put that in square brackets or you'll see it again in a footnote saying sometimes it's not in the oldest manuscript, so they don't include it there. That's why, that's why sometimes things aren't where you think they should be in the Bible. So there it is. That's sort of the, the, uh, that's the prayer we all know. If you go to the next slide, Dave. So I want you to notice something really pretty straightforward about the prayer that you might not notice until you kind of stop and look at it. Um, it starts with a short intro, our Father in heaven, who are we praying to? And then you get six petitions. Uh, there's six things that are sort of asked. And, and they're split into two groups of three. And the first three 
uh, are, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So they're all, you have to look at the pronouns. These are all sort of God-centered, right? Your, your, your. And then the next three petitions are uh, us-centered, uh, about living in community as disciples. So give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we uh, forgive our other debtors. And then lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Um, before you go to the next slide, Dave, what is, um, there's something really important about the way this is structured. What is the, the great commandment that Jesus uh, says, kind of summarizes all of the Old Testament teachings? What's the, when, when he's asked, what's the most important commandment? Jesus says, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So you, if you look at the petitions, what do you see? The first three are about you and God, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're God-centered. And then what are the next three? Are other-centered. It's That's the loving your neighbor as yourself part. So the Lord's Prayer is literally structured around the great commandment. And what, what's interesting is there's sort of a theme here of get your heart straight with God first. Get Do that, and that will flow out in the way you love other people. Right? So the, the prayer begins by orienting ourselves towards God, letting, that sh- letting him shape our hearts, letting the Father's concerns become our concerns, and then allowing the love we learn through Jesus to then sort of spill out in the way we uh, care for others, right? The other thing to note is it's us, us, us. It's not me, me, me. This is a prayer prayed in community, right? It's meant to be given to the church to pray in common, together. Uh, so it's not just, I think when we pray this, we often sort of pray it internally, like individually, right? Like we'll say, give us this day our daily bread. We kind of mean like me in our heads, right? Um, forgive me when I've, when I've done stuff wrong as I forgive others, right? But it, they're plural pronouns. This is meant to be done in community. And so it's neat, right? You begin by addressing the Father. Uh, this is the first thing we do. These are the things that we need to kind of get ingrained in us as disciples. And I think every line reflects something that Jesus thinks is important for us to, to return to time and time again. And so we're, we're constantly reminding ourselves of who we're praying to. I think, is there one more slide, Dave? I think it shows. So there, there it is there. So I've moved it over a little bit. Um, so the first section, again, three petitions on loving God. And then the second section is three petitions on loving others or sort of living as disciples of Jesus. And so it moves from sort of a Godward relationship to an outward relationship, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can probably just leave that one up, Dave. So today we're going to just look at the first, um, the intro, and then the, the first petition, which is the Hallowed Be Your Name petition. And then I think next week we'll do Kingdom and Will. And then the following weeks, we'll do the kind of other-centered ones. So we'll leave that up there for now. So let's look at the first one. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing to note is uh, who are we addressing, right? Uh, Our Father, right? Our Father, Jesus says. And if you look at Jesus' teachings, um, he will sometimes refer to God as God, um, but most often, he's referring to him as father. And we're reminded of Jesus' own identity, right? He's the son. This is the son and the father. Jesus comes to reveal who God is 
uh, in the truest sense. And so when you ask, what God am I praying to? Well, we're praying to the Father. We're praying to the one who calls Jesus his son. What's interesting, though, is Jesus says in the Gospels things like, when you see me, you see the Father, right? When you see me working, you see the Father working. Uh, John 14, 8 to 10, Philip says, uh, show us the Father, then we'll be content. This is like the heart cry for a Jew, right? Show us Yahweh, like show us God. And Jesus says this. He says, you've been with me all this time, Philip. You still don't understand. To see me is to see the Father. So how can you ask, where is the Father? Don't you believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you aren't mere words. I just don't make them up on my own. The Father resides in my acts, in my words. Paraphrasing the end there. Um, So to see me is to see the Father. Um, I am in the Father. The Father is in me. And now we're in Trinity land, right? (laughs) Where it's kind of complicated and confusing. But there's a mystery here as God, uh, the Father, sends the Son, but to see the Son in action is to see the Father. Same thing that happens in in creation, as God speaks, it's the word that makes life happen. Same thing that Jesus does later at the end of John. As he speaks, there's sort of new creation life happening, um, which is a, only God can do that. And so to see Jesus is to see God himself, right? But here's the, here's the key thing for us to remember. I think Jesus knows it's going to be difficult to, to keep straight in our minds which, who we're praying to, like what God's really like, because there's always stuff around us in the world Um, that will try to fill in the gap on what God is like for us. So there's always going to be things in in movies and in literature and in people's conversations that will tell you what God is like or not like. And those things can shape what we think God is like or not like. And sometimes those things are not true. Um, Sometimes you'll hear people who clearly their hearts are not close, you know, they're far away from God, and then they'll say something about, like, and God bless us, right? And it's like, no, what, did you listen to all the things you just said? Those are not things God wants to bless, right? Um, so we have to be discerning about who is the God, right? What is God really like? Because there'll be someone trying to fill in that gap for you. We want uh, to, to know the truth of who God is. And Jesus here is bringing us back to who God is, right? We see God at work in Jesus. We see the generosity We see the goodness of Jesus. We see how God moves towards us in our own sin and in our own brokenness and invites us back into relationship with God. And this is important because I think we we can run the risk of thinking of God as sort of a distant kind of bearded fellow out in the sky somewhere with like a big stick, you know, and he's just waiting to kind of whack you when you don't do it right. And he's like, no, you did it wrong. And then he kind of like hits you, you know, or like he's a policeman, you know, and he's just like keeping track of all the stuff you did. Or he's like a landlord, like a mean landlord, you know, and like we're just bad tenants. And so he's just keeping track of stuff. But that's not the image we get here. That's not the biblical image that we receive. What here we get father, not mean landlord in the sky, Right not cop out to get me or whatever it might be that you, you are used to filling in with that blank. This is the Father, our Father in heaven. And so there's meant to be here this sense of warmth, this sense of intimacy. Think about this, how, how deeply um, intertwined the Son and the Father are, so much so that Jesus can say, 
The Father is in me and I am in in him. Here Jesus is inviting us to call his Father, Father. We're being invited into the same sort of warmth and intimacy that Jesus shares with the Father as his disciples. We're being called into that same sort of relationship. It's amazing. And so this is the this is the Father we're to pray to. This is God, the God who is good and generous and kind and who loves you. It's our Father we pray to, our Father in heaven. So the next the next thing that might jump out right away is hallowed. Hallowed be your name, right? I said there's three petitions, the first three petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we'll we'll focus on those probably next week. Um, but hallowed is not a word we use all the time. Where do we typically hear the word hallowed? On October 31st. What's it called? It's okay, you can say it. It's okay. Halloween, right? Okay. Halloween or uh, All Saints Eve, right? All Saints Day. It comes, so it comes from the same sort of root word as holy. Hallow and holy kind of go together, right? Um, holy means to be other than or to be sort of sanctified or purified. That's kind of the use we think of it, right? Like we often think of Someone who's holy is maybe like holier than thou, we use that expression to mean they kind of are uptight and hoity-toity, you know? Um, but here we're, we're talking about God's name being holy. Like, stop and think about that. What on earth are we praying? God, we pray your name would be holy? Well, isn't it already holy? Isn't God already holy? Why are we praying for his name to be holy? What, right? This, this is what he already is. This is about God's this is about God's name and his reputation. And so think about where we are in the story of the Bible is God has created um, the world and us within it and creation and creatures and all of that to live in harmony with him. It's good and he's blessed it and the idea is it moves forward and there's sort of a, a project happening of God working with people. And then humanity kind of breaks that, rebels against it and like I mentioned earlier has now kind of filled in their gaps, our own gaps of what we want God to be and what we don't want him to be, right? Sort of make him in our own image. And so God's name is no longer treated in our world as one of a kind, as holy, right? And so the prayer here is to pray for the world to return to a knowledge of the living and loving God, right? Hallowed be your name. So in our world, in our lives, Lord, would your name be holy as it is holy. It's not that his name, it wasn't holy, and now we have to remake it holy, right? The problem is not him. <laughs> the, problem, the problem is us. So think of it in this way. Think of it as like, um, say there's a company that was really, really awesome. Say it was in town. This is a good example. So say it's in Dryden, and there's this company that everyone knows, and it has a reputation, right? And then something happens, the leadership changes, um, and it just becomes terrible. Right? It's just the worst, right? The reputation's ruined. Um, and the company knows this, and so now they need to bring in a new leader to, like, restore the name and the reputation of the company, right? That's kind of what's happening here. There's this sense of, of we've made a mess of God's name, Right? We've kind of made it, if we're meant to image God and his character as human beings made in his image, we're not always really great at doing that. We kind of make a mess of things. And so it's not that God's reputation is broken. This is where the analogy is not great. It's not that his reputation's ruined, but we want the world to come to a place where they realize just exactly who he is 
and the fullness of his goodness and the fullness of his glory. Does that make sense? So there's this, there's this sense in which in, in people's minds, the perception of God has been tainted, has been destroyed. Here's a better analogy. Say there's a good business in town, but somehow a media gets out about it and everyone starts to think it's terrible, but it actually was always good, right? And now we're praying that the thing that was good and holy and set apart, uh, its reputation is restored and people see it for what it is and people realize that company is still awesome and makes great coffee or whatever they make, right? We just, we want that to be restored because it's always been great. That's, that's sort of what we're praying here. Lord, would your reputation be, be known and realized by your creation? We would, we would remember, again, your holiness and your goodness uh, and your grace. And so the call here is to sort of reestablish or remember again what sets, what sets God apart. And that's Jesus. Jesus is here to kind of reset things, right? To set everything right and to reestablish God's reputation, as it were, as holy and good and unique. And we'll get, that, get to that when we talk about the kingdom of God. Um, it's, so again, it's not that God's name or reputation is broken, but our hearts towards him are broken, right? Our issue is, is inside of us. We're the problem. It's not God's fault. It's us. So hallowing God's name is, is reminding ourselves that God's to be treated with the, the highest honor, right? Set apart as holy. And that's where that Isaiah passage is so awesome that Rob read is there's this sense of God on the throne and this unmistakable kind of majesty and splendor and worship and sort of bright light and holiness, right? And we, we can't come near to him is the sense, right? And that's Isaiah's sense as he realizes in the moment of being in the presence of the holy God, I can't be here, right? That's Isaiah's response. I, I'm, I'm doomed. I'm done. This is it. I can't stand in this presence, the only way for me to come and be with the holy God is for the God to come and do something to me. I can't make myself worthy of being here. And so God comes with that amazing moment where the angel takes the, takes the burning coal from the altar and puts it on Isaiah's lips. And there's this sense now where it's not that Isaiah's impurity or his sinfulness is going to do anything to God God's holiness and God's righteousness and God's purity touches Isaiah and transforms him. God's holiness moves out from him and transforms people around him. And you see this reflected particularly in the life of Jesus, right? Here's God himself down among us. And what's at the time, you don't touch people who are dead or sick or have, you know, issues of blood or things like that because you become ritually unclean, right? You, you become tainted by the thing. The, the badness of the thing gets transferred to you. But what does Jesus do? What does the holiness of God do when he moves into our lives? He comes and touches the broken people and touches the dead people and touches the woman with the issue of blood. And what happens? It's not that Jesus becomes tainted ritually or becomes unclean, the holiness of God moves and transforms the people that he touches, right? This is what the holiness of God does. The holiness of God is not just sort of a, an attribute to say God's really fancy and bright. It's a missional activity. God's mission is to transform us and make us holy, not in a holier-than-thou kind of sense, but to transform us who are broken, 
and in need of him and full of sin and to come and cleanse our hearts. That's God's heart for us. That's when we talk about the holiness of God, the hallowedness of his name is about him coming and setting us apart and touching you and touching me and transforming our lives. And so what God does for Isaiah in that passage is what Jesus came to do for you and me. That same action where we realize, I don't belong here. I'm so far from God. I'm so broken. God says, I'll make it up to you. I'll, I'll come to you. It's okay. Right? And so he comes and transforms us. This is what Jesus does at the cross. This is the gospel. We can't save ourselves, but God's come to rescue us. He's come to make a way for us to stand and to re- enter into relationship again with him. And as we do that, as, as we get transformed by God's holiness, there's a call for us to walk it out, right? It's not just, okay, I'm holy, I'm good. I'm just going to keep on living my life the way I used to. There's a call for it to change our lives. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Now listen to this. I want to just pay attention to how he phrases this. That as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So these people have been taught how to live out their Christian faith, how to live into the salvation life that Jesus came to give, to give us, but how to live into their faith with God, right? Just as you've received from us, Paul has taught them this, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing now, so they're still walking in it, that you are doing so more and more, right? He's saying, don't just, now that you're saved, now that you've encountered the holiness of God, now that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, Keep walking it out. Don't stop walking in the holiness of who God is. And then he says in verse 7, God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. And all through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, right, you get this call, be holy as I am holy. There's a call for us, folks, to not just receive the transforming life of Jesus, to have our sins forgiven, to experience his redemption, but now to actually walk it out for it to actually make a transformed difference in our lives. And some of us, it's hard to, hard to live that out. Maybe we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but, but we don't walk it out. We just think, I'm kind of good. I'm all right, right? But here we're called to walk it out, to walk out the, the, the love and the grace that we've been shown. And so as God's name is hallowed, as we affirm his holiness, we are remembering his mission, which is to call us out of darkness into his light, right? Out of our sin into freedom, into holiness. And so this is the one we pray to. He's our father in heaven. We'll talk about heaven and earth next week. But his mission is not sort of far off. It's right here with us. And Jesus calls us to know that the intimacy and communion of the father that he shares with the father, the sense of love, but also this sense of of reverence and wonder and awe. This is the holy God. This is not just the cuddly God, right? This is not just the warm, fuzzy God. This is the holy God. And we need to hold those two together. And so our prayer is that God's name is hallowed, that his reputation is affirmed and, and made right in the hearts of people, 
that our world would know the saving grace and mercy of the God who's revealed himself in Jesus. And that's what's happening. Hey, bud, as we pray, our Father in heaven, he's the Father, he's close to us. There's a sense of warmth and intimacy, but he's also the one with the hallowed name, the sense of awe and wonder and splendor. And so today I want to ask uh, I guess really just two questions. The first is, is, do you know the warmth and love of the Father, of God who loves you so much, so much? Do you know that sense of, of joy and safety in his embrace? And if you've had a bad relationship with your biological father or you zero relationship with your father, that word is, is kind of tainted for you, Right? Father is not an image you associate with warmth and intimacy and safety. But that's the image that God, uh, that's the, the character of God that's, that's revealed to us in Jesus. This is the one who longs to embrace us and to invite us home. So do you know the warmth and love of the Father? But the second question is also, do you know, do you know the sense of majesty and awe and splendor of who God is? And that brings us back to recognizing our own sinfulness and God's holiness. And just as he is holy, he invites us to become holy, to lay down our sins, our brokenness, and to receive salvation and life in Jesus. So I guess I do have three questions. The last question is, where is he calling you to, to walk in his holiness? Where is the area in your life that you struggle to give to Jesus completely? Where is the area that you don't want to give that place up, right? And so Jesus is calling us, just as, as Paul reminds us in First Thessalonians, to continue on in the faith that we've received. So let's pray together. And it, I'd be remiss if we didn't actually pray the Lord's Prayer after all of that. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll pray, and then we'll close out in the Lord's Prayer, and, and I'll send us off with the benediction. But before I do that, if, if, if at the end of the service you want prayer yourself personally, um, there's folks up here that love to pray with you, so feel free to come on up and receive prayer if you, if you want to. Uh, if there's something on your heart that you want to kind of talk through and have prayer for before the end of the service. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that um, you've given us this prayer, Lord, that you've, you've, we don't have to, to kind of figure out in the dark what you're like or who you are or what, what you would call us to. Lord, it's really clear in your word. We thank you, Father, that you love us, that you invite us into the warmth and communion and intimacy of, of yourself. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would, you would renovate our hearts to help us to remember your goodness and your kindness. Some of us, Lord, we're, we're, we think of you, but there's this kind of distance and aloofness. Um, Lord, you love us. You've drawn near to us. Um, so help us, Lord. This may spur up for some of us issues with our own dads that we need to work out. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to think through and um, reflect on those things. But we pray for your healing, Lord, your healing and your love. Some of us never had dads, and, and this is where we realize you're our dad. This is the Father's love for us. Lord, we also recognize your holiness, that you are above and beyond us. Lord, there's a splendor and a might and a beauty uh, surrounding you and your throne. And 
we come before you, Lord, we recognize our brokenness, our sinfulness, like Isaiah. Um, But Jesus, today we're so thankful that at the cross you made a way for all of us to become holy, for all of us to be able to enter into your presence. Lord, that as you died, that veil was torn in the temple so that we could access your presence, your splendor, your goodness. And so, Father, today I pray for anyone who's here who's wrestling with their sin or wrestling with their sense of self-worth or, or wrestling with, with depression or brokenness, whatever it might be, Lord, that you would reach down um, almost like with that coal, Lord, with your light, with your hope and healing and touch our lives, Lord, that we would be awakened to your great love for us, that you've made a way in Jesus, Father, for us to come into relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that none of us would leave here today without knowing uh, a, a relationship with you. Lord, this is so important. And I pray, Father, for those of us that have, have walked with you for many, many years, just as Paul encouraged the church so many years ago, I pray you would encourage us to continue on in the faith that you have passed on to us. Um, Lord, to, to continue on in walking out our salvation. Um, being alive with your good news and willing to share that with others. And with the words you taught us, Jesus, we're bold to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Like I said, if you would like prayer, we'd love to pray for you before you go.